had to crash. So on Twitter, a guy named John Herman says, Happy podcast anniversary. I tweeted earlier tonight that it was five years ago today. Ah. And MDG Jetty or Eddie. Uh, what's this person's real name, I wonder? Let's see here. Matthew Getty with a G in the a J in the middle there. Anyways, he just says uh, he just says congratulations. Uh, Steve Vischer, we met from Australia, says yeah. oh yeah, a fantastic effort. You've been an inspiration to so many of us. Congratulations. And Sean Moody says still enjoying every episode. And those are just the ones that are coming in the five minutes since Sean. I- Will an Annie Persprint do anything about that inspirational stuff? <laughs> Might you never know. Uh, some Listerine will help. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, you got to, uh, like, yeah, shower in it or something like that. The Sean you know, Moody- there, there, there was a lot of significant stuff happened on this date on o- August 22nd. Really? What else? Well, Arbogast has Eugenius elected Western Roman Emperor, no less. Uh, let's see. The Battle of Jingland, and Arispo defeats Charles the Bald near the t- Brayton town of Jingland. Huh. Uh, how about something more recognizable? In in the year 565, the Loch Ness Monster was first sighted. <laughs> well, they, now, that's more on par with what okay. we're doing here. Yeah. Yes. It, you know, uh, let's see. In um, 1849, the first air raid in history when Austria launched a pilotless balloon, uh, launched pilotless balloons, multiple, against the city of Venice. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah. In, in 1846... Uh-huh. We annexed New Mexico. <laughs> 46, really. Mine says 48. I'll be damned. Huh. It says what? 48. 48, huh? Um, let's see. Um, 1851, America, uh, the Yacht America won the first America's Cup. Ah. Uh, in 1862, Claude Debussy was born. Really? In 1917, John Lee Hooker was born. Well, there you go. See? Um, In 1920, Ray Bradbury was born. Well, there we go. Wow. 1962, the NS Savannah completed its maiden voyage. It was the world's first nuclear-powered cargo ship. First? Hmm. uh, that's what it says. I'm, I'm not sure how many. Yeah, I was going to say, how many have there been since? Uh-huh. Plenty of submarines um, and aircraft carriers. Uh, 1989, the first ring of Neptune is discovered. and I didn't even know Neptune was engaged. Oh, this is one for you, Jeb. Uh, Jack, yeah. sorry. Yeah. 1989, Nolan Ryan strikes out Ricky Henderson to become the first Major League Baseball pitcher to record 5,000 strikeouts. There we go. Well, there's our goal. 5,000 episodes. Um, oh, my God. Do we have to strike out somebody in all of them? Yeah, no. I was doing them. I was joking around on Twitter the other day, and I, I commented that we had reached 250, and I said, 300, here we come. And then I said something about 1,000, can't be far away. And then I sat down and did the math to figure out how long it would take us to do weekly podcasts to reach 1,000. I don't, you never know, because I didn't yeah. think we were going to make it and, to and, five and, years. And and how long will it take? Well, it's it's five years to get to 250, so it's 20 years to get to 1,000. Oh, well, that's all right. We already got the first five done. So we're only, we're only talking about 15. 15 right. more. Right, 15 more. Now, on, a da- on the downside, yeah. on, this, on this date in 1979, 
Led Zeppelin released their final original album. Oh, man. Okay. What does that mean, final original album? Well, there was greatest hits and, oh, and okay. live right. and shit like that, I would presume. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and concert, concert stuff. <clears throat> but but now, now here's, I think, in keeping okay. with, with this podcast. Okay. In 1969, the world's tallest totem pole is dedicated in Kake or Cake, Alaska. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a big part of the inspiration of this podcast. Well, you know, we all have to have our phallic symbols. That's right. Um, let's see. Keep going going backwards here. Um, Elvis Presley started work on his first movie, Love Me Tender. Oh, well, there we go. And, and it's an episode title. Okay. And on this date in 2006, he... Star-crossed trio of weird aviators gathered together for the first of an unnamed podcast, and 250 later, we're still here. It just won't go away. Those guys just won't go away. What the heck? Well, you know, but here, here, here is the coup de grace. Oh, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Okay, you ready? Yep. All right. On this date in 1925, Honor Blackman was born. Do you know who Honor Blackman was? Oh, yeah. Pussy galore. Pussy galore. Uh-huh. And the first Mrs. Steed. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, really? Well, I don't think her character was Mrs. Kathy, Kathy Gale, according to this. Yeah. It was, but she was the first counterpart uh-huh. to Steed in uh, the original uh, Avengers. Mm-hmm. Okay. You win. And there were two others that I know of that followed that. But that's another yeah, podcast but, altogether. But, but yeah, but uh, what's what's her name will always be um, Mrs. Pugh. That's right. Welcome, folks, to episode 251, starting the second 250 episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. You're you're actually recording this now? Yeah. Oh. When did you start doing that? Claire. background noise throughout the day but it's just airplanes so it's not it's, it's not really noise. good background noise That's yeah right. this is this is the best seat in the house That's right. we got sky riders now we got sky riders, we got sky riders now. Now. does that say you cap i can't it's got a runway in the front yard <laughs> and you're on site clear around turkey central ground good afternoon sir taxi via foxtrot and delta we're recording this episode on, uh, what is it, Monday evening, August 22nd, 2011, five years Monday, after that date, Monday. and uh, I wanted to say hello to my good friends, uh, uh, who <laughs> still good friends, there must be something going on here, because <laughs> <He's right. laughs> five years of weekly telephone calls. and uh, Still crazy after all these years. That's right, yeah, well, another possible title. Well, that voice was Jeb Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I'm good. I'm good. I um, I have uh, uh, a Wilson sighting to report. Oh, really? Yeah, he was out catching some rays yesterday. He, him or someone, some animal looks a lot like him, a reasonable fact similarly thereof. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry, so, you said in, your, in the backyard or where? No, in the, in the, on the... Uh, in the pond? Uh, no, actually on the island. On Fantasy Island. On the island? On the, he was out catching some rays. Well, I guess I don't go back to the island then. Well, I've, I've told you about the island. 
Yeah, you, you, yeah I guess you have. So, I've, I've, uh, I've warned you about the island. We got we got a uh, piece of mail from a listener I showed you guys earlier today who invited us to uh, rename the alligator after his less than and, favorite ex-wife. Yes, and I think um um both of us Jack remember uh in the spring uh where there was um uh, an alligator booty call. There uh, was. It, it was a magical moment. It was it was another magical moment. Um, we have to talk about that, by the way. Anyway, um, <laughs> and we 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 didn't we struggled to come up with a name for the apparent female alligator. Mm-hmm. This it's true involved in this trysting, uh, and now we we have we have resolved that dilemma. Oh, oh, there you go. Of course, yes. Yes. We yes. don't have to rename um, no. Wilson. We have no. other alligators that need names. That's right. That's right. So it's Wilson and Carla. <laughs> I don't know if somebody's going to get in trouble for me saying that out loud. Probably not. Um, and by the way, listeners who aren't paying attention, Jeb's not making this up. We did see the two alligators having doing I the, have, doing I have the video, nasty. I have video of this. I just never have done it. I know. I have a little bit of video too, but I think you've got way better video than I've I do. Got, I should have. I, yeah, I should have HD video of this. Yeah. We'll have to dig that out. Maybe when I come down, we can make that a project. Yeah, um, yeah. Also out there is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. Good evening, friends, and even those that aren't friends. Yeah? Come, below come on 100? down. Have a, ha, have a seat in the hangar. Is it below 100? Oh, well below. Well below. Uh, we had several more triple-digit days last week. Uh, the weekend days peaked in the high 90s both days. But didn't make a hundred, and today we've had like low, uh, funky overcast and a little light drizzle, and it still got into the low eighties. But it's it's cooler and damper, and the sun isn't blazing hot. So e- even saw some people doing instrument practice today. At least I assume they were practicing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm talking to you from high atop Lookout Point in Nottingham, New Hampshire, uh, where the uh, this may be the seasonal break. I always worry. I wait for this 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 turning point in August when the uh, when the weather turns a little bit cooler, turns into fall, and I think it happened yesterday. We had a big line of thunderstorms barrel on through here mm-hmm. yesterday, and I think that might have been the front that does the trick. We'll see. Time will tell. Anyways, hey, congratulations, guys! It's really been a thrill this whole five yeah, year thing. This, this, this I, I don't know special. what I thought. I I had higher hopes. I had more of a vision of what was going to happen than you guys did, apparently, from hearing the stories. But even I never thought five years. My goodness gracious! It's just like, oh, I figured five months on the outside. Yeah. You know, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I, I some of it was okay. This is. We'll give this a shot. Um, this sounds like fun. I, you know, I, I certainly have no uh, uh, no issue sitting down on, on on Skype, which I never really used Skype all this much before. Had no real issue sitting down and chatting with you guys about flying. Uh, um, it was a welcome respite, and you know, got through the first one and and uh, got through the second one, and and. Um, you know, did the did, what are we going to call this thing? Uh, mm-hmm. That was quite uh, an exercise. We had Charlie Foxtrot, yeah, uh, came out came out on the other end of that. You know, shining uh, shining example of what uh, uh, creative minds can do when they they put their put their uh, shoulders to the grindstone to mix yeah, some right. metaphors. And then there's the and, podcast. And then there's the podcast, right? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it's um, been cool. And it, um, just kept just kept doing it. And I think the, the main thing um, after the first couple, we started to get feedback. I know that was you know looking back over the five years, and and folks, we're going to talk about airplanes any minute now. I promise. Um, but looking back over the five years, it's kind of corny, it's kind of cliche, but it's really totally true. The, the the biggest surprise, the most pleasant. I mean, other than meeting with you guys every week, truly no joke. It's been a pleasure. But is uh, is bumping into all these listeners at, at air shows and stuff is just just very very cool, and uh, you know, and then hearing from them that you know. On some level, I mean, I guess we started this just for fun, you know, just to kind of get together and talk, right, and to kind of blather because the three of us, you know, between the, well, no one would ever accuse us of having small egos, I think, and so the idea of kind of talking in public is, was a something of a no-brainer, um, but uh, but uh, but a lot of it for me, and I think for you guys, maybe not consciously, had to do with with sharing this passion that we have for flying, um, you know, both the practical, you know, joy of it and, and this, and the philosophical joy of it and not to overstate it. And, uh, and, and to realize after a while that it was working, that we were like, people were hearing it and, and, and kind of feeding off of it. And, you know, as a result, they were going out and starting flight training or they're returning to flight training, you know, or, um, you know, or they were just listening because it helped them pass the time, you know, through, you know, we've, we've heard from a number of people who said this helped me get through a difficult time. Um, whether it was, you know, uh, service people in the, in the middle East or whether it was people going through a difficult time here in the States or whatever. And, uh, it's just, it's, 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 keep using the word humbling. That's the best word I can come up with. It's kind of humbling that this is, you know, it is it doing is. this, is, um, had this, um, it's it's really gratifying, humbling, uh, special to put that word in, in quotes and underscore it. Um, and um, I don't know. I, I, for lack of a better term, there's a responsibility here um, that we've that's kind of been thrust upon us. I wouldn't say that you know a responsibility to keep doing this or a responsibility to uh, uh, you know uphold some standard. We have no standards. Um, oh, goodness um, no. <laughs> it bears the thought, but um, um, a lot of people have come to us and said, "Keep it up. You, you've you've uh, you know helped us, helped me through um, you know some some well this letter we got today uh, that you shared with us, Jack, from mm-hmm. from a listener. Uh, uh, had a rough patch in his life, and and uh, uh, keep to keep things together, he uh, had to do some driving on occasion, and and spent the time." Uh, um, listening to us to try to get his mind off the rough patch, and um, that's very special. But uh, no question, um, I don't know. It, it's very, very hard to to really explain and to put my arms around. But uh, um, we're we're happy to to get this feedback. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we're um, probably not going to um, slow down yeah. anytime soon. So uh, no, no, I don't think so either. Unless you know, uh, um, you know, the internet blows up or something like that. Um, but um, as, as I say, and I'll, I'll say, I'll say it one more time, and I'll shut up. Um, as long as you know people listen to us, we'll we'll try to keep doing this. Yeah, David, anything? Yeah, I mean, we talked plenty when people didn't listen to us, so there's no reason for that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You know, <laughs> and we don't need no stinking internet now. We do stage shows now. We do terrestrial radio. All right. Uh, you know, there's no reason why we couldn't burn this thing onto a CD. You know, it's like we don't need no stinking internet. We were, we've been on AM and FM. That's right. That's right. You know, sticking my chest out, strutting my stuff. Anyways, let's and talk. And that's about, enough of that. Yeah, let's talk about airplanes. Um, 
Actually, I want to start out not exactly by talking about airplanes, but um, I want to get this over with because I'm embarrassed. I need to eat some crow here. You want some ketchup with that? Yeah, I may need it. Um, so here's what happens. Um, uh, four or five, six-something episodes ago, all right, um, I went on a little rant. Well, it was more than a little rant. It was kind of a big rant um, about what I perceived to be a behavior that AOPA's website was doing that I thought was just stupid and foolish and horrible and beneath them and whatnot. You'll recall that I tuned into the website, their homepage, and it splashed a little alert message on the screen saying that uh, my membership had expired, and I was just all in an uproar because I said, no way, it hasn't expired. This is crazy. Why are you putting this in my face? Well, it turns out that my my, subscri- my membership had expired. <laughs> <laughs> Their website was absolutely right, and it was trying to be helpful, and I was just being difficult. And so, uh, um, uh, there's a long story behind it, but basically, we, um, we should have AOPA's uh, uh, website on our podcast to talk about it. Your yeah, anger no, management issues. Yeah. Well, no, it turns out that they don't have a problem. I thought they had a problem, and I was very vocal about it. And now I'm embarrassed because it turns out they were right, and I was wrong, and uh, and I went off on them for no. I mean, there's plenty of reasons to frown or shake your wag your finger at AOPA these days, but this wasn't one of them. And I apologize. I take it back. Um, somehow, magically, their website did know when I didn't know that my yeah, membership had expired. Somewhere. Somewhere, Skynet is smiling. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are, what are some of the reasons to wag your finger at AOPA? Uh, although I believe they've corrected themselves, the wine club, of course. Um, no? Yes? I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm asking you. you. You you said there were plenty of reasons to be there, wagging the, your the finger at AOPA. The wine club, and uh, what else? Uh, uh, no, see, I, no, see, now you're making me turn this around into an into opportunity to criticize AOPA, and I don't want to do that. On the whole, I like AOPA. I've loved AOPA for years and years and years. I went off the other day incorrectly, mistakenly. I apologize. I take it back. If you're not a member of AOPA, you should be. Go out and join. That's it. Now aviation. <laughs> we gotta get. How long are we going here? We, we're 20 minutes into this thing. We haven't talked about airplanes yet. If their listeners are, are are hollering, you know, but it, it, it's never it's never a bad time to inhale the the, the pungent and, and warm aroma of fresh crow cooking on the stove. So that's right. My goodness, I don't know if you can hear that. There's a boat next door that's having a hard time. A um, I live on a lake. Oh, and yeah. the people next to me also live on a lake, and they have a boat that's currently making a lot of noise. <laughs> and I bet the people next to them live on a lake, too. Yeah. yeah. So let's see now. The headline in the list says, Two Aircraft Make Emergency Landings. Uh, so what's the story here? Well, obviously, these are off-field landings of the week. These were proposed by a listener by way of Twitter, um, reading from the Brownsville Herald uh, .com website, two aircraft make emergency landings. A small private single-engine plane made an emergency landing in a sorghum field. Is that how you pronounce it? Sorghum? Sorghum, yeah. Sorghum. A sorghum. I figured yeah. the Kansas guy would know this. Sorghum field. Thursday morning, east of Sebastian, uh, said Frank Torres, Willis, Willacy County Emergency Management Coordinator. Cessna 206, carrying only the pilot. Uh, he was not injured. Uh, and, then, and then later on Thursday, a medical helicopter made an emergency landing. Uh, and that truly is the, the first one was a forced landing. Apparently, he had some engine problems. But the helicopter just apparently they didn't even have an engine problem. This is totally precautionary. And they just landed in a dirt field. So anyways, two off-field landings. And uh, congratulations to them. What's sorghum? 
It's like molasses, isn't it? That's what I wanted to say. It's like like brown sugar or what my head thinks. Well, that's they they make things out of sorghum. Yeah. Uh, no kidding. Food products mostly. You know, <laughs> All right. you could knit you could knit yourself a sweater. No, not really. Okay. All right. Anything to add about this uh, two aircraft make emergency landings? Well, congratulations no, to Ludovic Prevost of Harlingen. And uh, I'd be really curious to see how they got it out of that field because grain sorghums usually, well, unless it was really early in the season, could be like deeper than your wheel pants. Mm-hmm. Could be tough to take off again. Well, what happened with the helicopter, though? Did it uh, take off again? I think it you did. know they 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 made that one sentence reference to it and never came yeah. back to it in the story. Well, no, the one I'm, the version of the story I'm reading has uh, the, the last two graphs talk about the helicopter. It said, "Oh, uh, I'm sorry, you're right, you're it right." It said they landed. Uh, uh, four crew members landed right. around 5 p.m. after the crew smelled smoke coming from the aircraft. Uh, he said the helicopter passed an inspection and no one was injured. So that suggests that they then just launched from that from that field and continued yeah, on their way. Yes. Okay. So. Anyways, congratulations to these folks. That's great. That's great. Um, it, it, off-field oh. landing, I think, off-field landing of the week has been one of the biggest, you know, one of the most popular things we've done. It's kind of, uh, uh, people love to hear about all these different, uh, it, we it, keep, it's right up there with, with Jack Eats Crow, yeah. <laughs> that's right. We do off-field landing much more often than Jack's going to eat crow. That, that sounds like noise. something you could order at a bar. Yeah. Could I have a Jack and Crow, please? Yeah. David, you said something um, uh, other than the obvious somber uh, um, recollections. Something is going to happen on September 11th? Oh, yeah. Uh, our, our, our friends up at the Experimental Aircraft Association are having uh, a special gathering on the, uh, on the West Ramp. Uh, that would be ConocoPhillips Plaza today. Uh, to celebrate the 90th birthday of Paul Pobresny, the, mm. the founder of EAA. Mm-hmm. And they're going to have, you know, a- activities all along the day, and people who fly in will be able to park on the ramp, a lot of them, and there's going to be, uh, I'm sure, cake and ice cream and other stuff. You can find out about it on the website. But, you know, on a day when there's going to be so much record, re- let me try this again, so much time spent reliving and recalling one of uh, the least pleasant, most heinous days in American history, uh, that you could actually go out and do something positive and, and enjoy it and, mm-hmm. and, and, and celebrate the, the life of a very, very creative and, and influential aviator. So yeah. happy, I'm not going to make it, but happy birthday, Paul. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Happy birthday, Paul. We saw Paul, or at least I, I saw Paul a lot more this year at AirVenture than I have in the last yeah, few years. Yeah. Yeah. He was much I, more I visible this year, and that's I great. I was, that. yeah. I was pleased about that. One of the most notable um, times that I saw him, and I really want to relate this because I, I you know, we joke about magical moment, but this kind of was, all right? Um, on the very, very, actually on the evening of the last day of the fly-in, on Sunday night, um, EAA holds a a little get together for all of the volunteers and staffers and stuff. It's kind of after everything's closed down and done, and you know, teardown is still getting started. But everybody breaks away to go off and and uh, you know, lift a cold drink and have some hors d'oeuvres and a dinner and that kind of thing. Um, so everybody gathers over at the uh, the nature center there. Um, that's part of the uh, uh, EAA facility. And so we were all over there, you know, kind of winding down and visiting and saying hi to friends and, you know, beginning to say our goodbyes as we were getting ready to head home. And um, and 
Paul and Audrey um, wandered into the area. They were dry, They were riding in Paul's uh, uh, modified uh, VW Bug. And they just kind of cruised into the midst of the – I say cruised into the midst of the crowd. It sounds like they were running down pedestrians, but there's sort of a pathway road there. And they were just putting along, um, visiting with people. And as they arrived in the center of the crowd, more and more people started to gather around them. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very clear that people were just thrilled to see them here and to go over and visit with them. People just lined up to go over and and shake a hand or you know a request a, an autograph or or to just say hello and um, it, it was a very very touching thing and to see the 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 uh, I don't know what the word would be I don't, I don't want to say love exactly but it's kind of like that but the, the affection the affection yeah, the really very genuine affection that all these people had for Paul and Audrey and uh, and and rightly so I mean I feel the same way. But uh, it, it was very touching, and and uh, they, they, Paul and Audrey got a little trapped. I don't think they intended to stay <laughs> that long. Um, but uh, so many people were lining up to say hello to them and to give them good wishes um, that they just kind of hung out and, and were chatting, and and uh, it was it was a very nice moment. I, I took a bunch of pictures because I wanted to remember it because I think you know the day will come when we won't be able to have those kinds of gatherings, and uh, um, it was very cool. So yeah, congratulations to Paul on his 90th birthday. That's great, and he's doing great for a 90 year old. I should do so well when I'm 90. Yeah, David, what were you like when you were 90? <laughs> oh well. <laughs> I, I was a lot younger than you are now. <laughs> All right. Yeah, congratulations, Paul. Uh, did you have anything you want to add to that? No, no, you said it well. Okay. Um, let's see now. We like to talk about UAVs on this podcast. We talk about, uh, 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 you know, unmanned aerial aircraft, aircraft, unmanned aerial vehicles all the time, sometimes with a little bit of disdain. But this is a very cool unmanned aircraft. This is an unmanned, this joke isn't going to go much further, um, is an unmanned KC-10 tanker uh, run by the Air, Air Force. All right, And the reason it's unmanned, the way they've managed to make it unmanned, is to crew it entirely with women. And that's very, very cool. And this is not a joke that I've created, that Sexist Jack has created here. This is, in fact, a joke that the uh, the crew members put together. And uh, they apparently were having a good old time uh, announcing over the radio that... that, uh, that uh, Aircraft forming up to get fuel. We're we're approaching an unmanned aircraft. It's kind of cool. Very cool. Very That's cool. it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. on, on no, one I, level, it's nothing. You know, on, on one level, it's a nothing it, burger, right? Yeah. Right? It's, yeah. Exa- I agree. It's 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 the 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 uh, um, conundrum. Yeah. It's like you know. So what? You know, there've yeah. been there've been aircraft filled with guys for years. You know, what's the big deal with an aircraft filled with women? All right. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, but uh, it, but you know, sadly, it is a thing, and uh, it, it's, it, you know, it you should know, happen more. But we don't want to hear about it. We don't need to hear about it. It's we don't need to hear about it anymore. This is not the first time something like this has happened within the military. Um, I, I, I don't remember the aircraft type. I, I know it was a uh, a cargo uh, aircraft or something. It might have been one thirty. It might have been one forty one. I don't. It might have been a C seventeen. I'm not sure. Uh, but it was a few years back where um, I don't think it was a I don't think it was uh, planned. I think it was just all of a sudden uh, all the crew showed up for this uh, uh, this particular flight, and it was they were all female. And someone said, "Hey, you know, this is this is uh, I don't think this has ever happened before." And uh, the military, the Air Force memorialized it or something like that, and. Uh, 
Um, it was a uh, you know another you know stick stuck in the ground, another another marker uh, on the turf, and we all went about our business. And, and this is yet another one of those. Um, it's it's a natural progression. Uh, more power to them. Um, and uh, you know one of these days it'll be a you know all female fighter squadron or something like. Well, of course you know we won't have manned uh, uh, fighters by then, but uh, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. So. Yeah. Good for the Congrats. Air Force. Yeah, Everybody yeah, should good, do it. Well, though. good for the Air Force, but uh, good for these ladies too. Yeah, yeah. Let's see now. Um, I don't think people heard that, but I heard it in my ears that I just accidentally played a YouTube video. That's the next story. Right, right, right. Uh, right. Yeah, you I, probably I, did the I, same I, thing. Right? I, did, I did that too. <laughs> yeah, um, it's kind of a funky video. This is like uh, uh, only just barely, you know, general aviation related, but it's kind of cool video. Someone took and put together. Um, the a couple of classic scenes from the movie Top Gun, uh, where uh, uh, Tom Cruise and and um, isn't that a hoot? Yeah, uh, and now I'm blanking on his name. Tom Cruise and the uh, ER guy there. Um, oh, the you ER mean guy? the guy that played oh, Goose? Um, Goose. Yeah, I know Goose. Goose. Yeah. I could say Goose and Maverick, but it's it's. Tom, I want to say Anthony Edwards, but I don't. Anthony know. Edwards is correct. Yeah, Give okay. that man a sticker. So they're doing the uh, scenes where they were, you know, in uh, a mock fighter combat uh, in the movie Top Gun, and uh, and then someone has uh, created a bunch of shots, presumably in one of the uh, flight simulator programs. And uh, and and shot videos of you know created you know videos from that, and that kind of mimic the shoot the shots from the uh, the Top Gun movie uh, scenes, and edit it all together, and it's kind of kind of works. It's kind of fun, and uh, I, I was, it, I was it, it, it does kind of does kind of work. That's a that's a fugly airplane now. <laughs> I was pleased. Yeah, that's right. So they what they've done is they've put uh, Maverick and Goose. Uh, flying the 787, the Boeing, and then the bad guys, who's actually one of the instructors, but sort of the quote-unquote bad guy, uh, is flying the A380. And uh, uh, and we don't get to see the entire... Oh, no, actually, I think we do. Did you shoot him down or not? I forget. But Because it cuts off after a while. It doesn't. It's sort of a coming... Well, it's, 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 they, it's, they go it's, below the hard deck. Yeah, okay, they get in trouble because they yeah because they uh, they they break the rules, and then a little later on they then they have another uh, uh, scene uh, redone where they have the uh, the Boeing seven eighty seven buzz the tower, and uh, <laughs> so uh, it was a cool little video, well done I thought, and, 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 and yeah, it's well it's a work in progress too. Yeah, There's it's more apparently to it's a part of I don't know how they're going to make it. I, I mean I know they can make it longer. I'm not sure how they can make it longer and really kind of make it any more of a point. You know, it's kind of yeah. like a little yeah. you know proof of concept kind of thing but maybe they're going to make a story out of it or something bring in meg ryan yeah there you go yeah uh so that was pretty cool uh we'll put a link in the it's a it's a youtube video here um from a, a youtube uh user at least the one who posted it i can't say for sure that this is the person who made it but the person who posted it in youtube was churuka 2008 uh, and so you can kind of go looking for Top Gun Spoof by 3D Aviation. I guess that's the name of the uh, 3D-Aviation.com is the website of the folks who made the thing. And uh, pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It is. It, it, and, and seeing them head-to-head like this, you're right, Jeb. I'm kind of coming around to your thinking that this is not the yeah. sexiest airplane in the world, yeah. This, yeah. this Airbus. Yeah. I, th- I think, yeah, in fact, the... Um the uh, model that they used in the animation was, you know, kind of 
retouched or something, shopped or something. I don't Why? Because you think it was more, it was sexier than it deserved. It, it actually to be. looks better than. The, the <laughs> Does it really? Thing. Okay. Yeah. By the way, it, it's not on the list. Of that. I saw a story just late this afternoon that uh, Boeing, Boeing's getting ready to start delivering these 787s for real. Yeah. And yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and they've got an interesting strategy. They've apparently decided that they're going to lose money on every aircraft, but make it up on volume. Uh, they. They apparently uh, they it's received not exactly what it said. Well, I think that's what it said was that they they uh, well again okay uh, you, you may read the whole article I didn't but the 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 four paragraphs I read at the beginning of the article suggested that the the 787 was so popular when it was first announced that orders came in um, and the pricing that they had announced at that time was based on their estimates of what it would cost and now it's actually costing more but they're committed to these lower prices so it's going to be like. I, did it say airplane number one thousand before? Yeah, yeah. That's actually now. Now you're on the button that they uh, the the return on this is going to be so slim for so long that they'll be through the launch order book and into reorders before they actually show a profit. Yeah, that's okay. That's the way you do it with these things. You know, you you lose money on the initials, but then then you have to make enough airplanes that you can make money on syndication. Well, and the technology that they've invented to go into this, you know, they're going to get to reuse a lot of this technology, which will be much less expensive the next time around. So this is what I'm saying. They're going to, like, lose money on every airplane but make it up on the volume. Well, they'll they'll stretch the airplane. They'll, you know, they'll sell some of the military. They'll, uh, they'll, once it gets in service, people will... uh, you know, order more of them, and and people who haven't ordered them before will order some, and they'll make it up. Uh, but I, you know, that's not. How should I put this? I, you know, I'm I'm certainly not God's gift to uh, transport category marketing and sales. But uh, first of all, I'm sure it's it's this has not been the first time that a a, a jetliner of this uh, um, this level has gone over budget. Um, and as a consequence, uh, um, it, um, costs more to manufacture mm-hmm. than the original yeah. plant. Um, and secondly, it's it's not the first time that it's going to take more unit sales of them to recoup development costs and, and uh, production costs, et cetera. So there's always a break-even point. They've just kind of pushed this out a little bit. To, um, a thousand of these is um, hmm, a tall order, I would think. It uh, would seem, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a yeah. lot of airplanes. Uh, well, let's let's use the Google machine here real quick. Yeah, how many seven thirty sevens are there in the, in the wiki machine? Let's see. Seven thirty sevens? Oh, gee, many? I don't know, thirty five hundred, forty five hundred. Yeah. Okay. So that is a well, lot of seven eighty sevens, if you ask me. It's a lot of seven thirty sevens too. Um, it's the most see. produced airliner. In history. 6,800. 6,800 737s? According to Wiki, since 19... I'll just read the whole sentence here. The 737 has been continuously manufactured by Boeing since 1967, with 6,819 aircraft delivered and 2,109 orders yet to be fulfilled as of June 2011. <laughs> so wait a minute. So seven thousand airplanes since nineteen sixty nine. Seven sixty seven. Sixty seven hundred. Right now they're doing over thirty a month. Yeah, it's going to take a while to make a thousand. 
787s. Well, but. they had upwards of 800 orders on the 787 when they launched the program. Yeah, I have no doubt they'll sell a thousand eventually. I just don't know how fast they're going to be. You know, how fast well, can they turn them out? Well, that's the question right now because they've been talking about ramping the rate up to uh, I don't know, fifteen, eighteen a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, which will take a couple of years to get it up that high. But remember, they've actually had this bird in serial production for a couple of years at a very low rate, and those airplanes have been waiting for final certification so that they can spec them to the type certificate and ship them. They haven't been waiting to start producing these puppies, so I'm betting there's probably already upwards of 30 that, that will go out the door in the next six weeks or so. Yeah. All right, well, for fair comparison... Okay, let's let's kind of take a step back here. Um, seven six the original seven sixty seven dash two hundred in this case entered service in nineteen eighty two. As of June two thousand eleven, the seven sixty seven had received one thousand fifty seven orders, with one thousand and three delivered. So okay. it took it took Boeing almost thirty years. To make one thousand seven sixty sevens, I can. Everybody, it's like sell your Boeing stock now. No, it's pretty. No, I think I think the I think the the. And then you look at the go a little bit quicker. At the triple seven, which entered service in ninety five, as of July, was up to nine hundred and forty nine airplanes. Oh well, that's more like it. There we go. Wow. Yeah, that's more what you're going to see, I think, with the yeah. 787. Yeah. And like you say, there's a lot of, of sort of spin-off income that they'll probably derive out of this thing, too. So, yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hawker Beach is benefiting from some of the money-losing investments that uh, Raytheon Aircraft made in the Starship program years ago. Yeah. And they're using some of that infrastructure, uh, some, some of the more expensive parts of that infrastructure, to build the uh, what's now called the Hawker 200, mm-hmm. originally the Premier One, and uh, the uh, Hawker 4000, the the large midsize category airplane, they both have composite fuselages, and they're baked in a huge autoclave mm. that that was acquired and installed. They have, I think, that one huge one, and a, a, I know a second smaller one, uh, but those were all acquired for the Starship program. And the building that the, that work was done was built for the Starship program. And even though it went away, the technology stayed and was done, paid for, and installed when they started needing it for the, the new airplane. So this stuff has a way of having a longer life. Yeah. It, it is kind of, I, I, going. To, maybe I'm going on a limb here, but it, it is kind of a pretty airplane. I, I liked it. I thought it was... The, it triple, was kind of, uh, the 787? 87, yeah. Yeah, damn pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I wish we got a chance. Looks like, it, it looks like it's in a deep climb, just sitting on the ramp. Yeah, I wish we had gotten a chance to see it fly more. It really snuck in and out real fast at that Air Venture this year. And oh yeah, it was a one day stop, one because, day thing, and uh, you know they're they're in a certification program that's what three years behind schedule. Yeah, well, it's the rivets. They had that rivet problem. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep coming back to this. We. Uh, 
we got to see it that, that we were out over on we were over at the north side of the field uh we were actually out in the parking lot in front of the old terminal building there at Whitman Field and uh and we were we were wondering why there were so many people still hanging around um at the you know on the fringes of the airport because the the air show was long over and we couldn't figure out why people were still around and uh, and they were all kind of staring out at the out at the field and and someone said, you know, something's going to, something's about to happen. And just as that was spoken, um, the 787 took off over our heads northbound, and then turned off to the le- off to the west, and 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 climbed out. And it was very pretty, just in that, you know, brief view. Um, I actually, I don't know if I told you guys this. I I came across a YouTube video that someone shot mm-hmm. from down near um, Canoco Phillips Plaza there um, as it was taking off. And um, as it lifted off and as it was climbing out and raising its gear, it rocked its wings at the crowd, which was kind of cool. It did a very, very Aww. clear, you know, it wasn't like 45 degree, but it was a, it was a distinct wing rock um, as they were climbing out. It was very cool. They, uh, they are, get are, it. Are we, are we sure there's not a... Um, um an instability problem in the roll axis on this airplane? <laughs> no, no, no. No, actually, we know they're show-offs. I actually also sh- saw a video of it arriving, of it landing, all right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the show-offs, they actually landed the airplane with the nose pointing straight down the runway. I know, I know. Oh, who'd have thunk it? I know, really. I mean, that's just like, you know. And they didn't bounce it so that the wings flex and all no, that well, stuff? Well, the wings may have flexed, too. I didn't it's see that just, part of it. It's just blatant. If you, get, showmanship. if you want to understand that joke, you need to look at the video of the A380 landing a couple of years ago. Yeah, that would be in 2009. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. All right. Where were we? Um, uh, lost in space. Lost in space. That's right. David, I don't know who Ron Davies was. Can you tell me who Ron Davies was? Only met the guy twice at special events at the Smithsonian National Air and Space Museum. Uh, where he was on staff for uh, almost 30 years. Uh, He was in charge of the air transport exhibit area, where they, you know, tell the story of commercial airline development and cargo development, where they had the one of the original Falcon jets used by uh, Federal Express and, and, uh, he was uh, really quite a brain, uh, uh, a treasure trove of, of information about aviation, and he used it to help make the Air and Space Museum as good as it is. And uh, the gentleman died here uh, on July 30th, I should say, in Bedfordshire, England. Uh, he returned to his native England after he retired. He was 90 years old. He had a long and very useful and very interesting life, and I just thought it worth recognizing his passing because if you've ever been to the air and space museum in dc uh you've seen the results of his work and his knowledge uh in the uh in the air transport section so yeah, yeah. He, very interesting guy very interesting guy yeah i i i didn't know mr davies i did not know he was responsible for uh for uh, all of the, the fine treasures the smithsonian air and space museum has but I, I have a lot of vivid memories of, of uh, when I lived in D.C. years ago, going through the uh, Silver Hill, uh, the, the Paul E. Garber facility at Silver Hill, Maryland, which is in the D.C. suburbs, which is at that time where they did a lot of the rest, did all the restorations, and, st- and they had storage and, and all these kinds of facilities there, and it was just one Quonset hut after another, after another, after another, of uh, all this memorabilia. Um, 
I've, somewhere I've got uh, some snapshots of uh, uh, the the Enola Gay fuselage. Uh, way back before it was put on exhibit, uh, uh, and uh, uh, with the with the accompanying controversy, but there was a a, a cradle with the front uh, cockpit section uh, unbolted from the rest of the fuselage, and it was like basically standing behind the pilot seats, basically, uh, and and you could just look straight into the the, the uh, cockpit and see the. Uh, the instrument panel and everything else, and of course you don't you don't want to e- even think about touching this stuff, much less breathing on it. But um, uh, it was just that, and, and that that sticks out very vividly. And there was just you know countless other uh, uh, memories and treasures uh, uh, of visits to that facility, and uh, it's 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 um, you can see some of this uh now at the um um the Dulles facility the uh, Udvar-Hazy facility out at Dulles uh and they still do some some uh, restorations and storage work there but the Silver Hill facility still exists it's they they still have uh, uh artifacts there also hmm. yeah very nice thank you for telling me about that that's so we've got a kid a 17 year old who has just completed a uh a uh how do you want to characterize it here? A, a, four a, corners a, trip. A four, well, he, a four corners trip. I was just kind of reading this article, rereading this article, trying to figure out what exactly. It's characterized here as a, 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 a trip around the perimeter of the U.S. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what they mean by that. You know, whether. I, well, think think about it. What what's perimeter mean? I mean, well, he, he went around the edge of the continent and the edge of our borders. Okay. By flying from California to Key West, Key West to the northernmost point in Maine, northernmost point in Maine, west, stopping in Oshkosh, right. uh, to uh, Washington State, uh, up near the Cana- Canadian border, and then back down to his home in California. Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, and that's significant. Congratulations to him. I, I just, it's a bit trivial, but I would point out that the northernmost point in Maine is not the northernmost point in the United States. Um, and that's kind of what I was getting at. This was one of my fantasy flights a long time ago. All right, kind of a big monster cross country was to overfly the four points of the U.S. the northernmost, the southernmost, the easternmost, and the westernmost of the continental United States. And uh, and so I kind of identify what this what this uh, kid, this uh, young man. That's did. Actually, that's actually one on our list too. Yeah. Uh, that and, and South America. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so the northernmost point is actually that little thing that sticks up up there in whatever it is, Montana or Wisconsin or North North Dakota or whatever it is. Up uh, there's that little little. But it's not at a corner. But I, yeah. I didn't say corners. I said the yeah. four four points: Northern, the northernmost, northern the southernmost, the easternmost, the westernmost. And so Maine would count as the easternmost, um, but right. not the northernmost. Anyways, mm. well, you, very you, cool. Got, uh, let's see now. Key West covered. Pardon me. You got Key West. I got Key West. Although I was going to do this in a, in like a Cub or a Champ or something like oh, that. You're, you know? you're, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Sure. So uh, it was going to be this kind of more or less continuous flight, you know. And uh, Taylor Delay is the young man's name, 17 years old, and uh, um, his feat is 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 very impressive. And uh, um, it is. Um, and quite an adventure. I'm jealous a little bit, you know. And uh, he was, logged about 65 hours in the RV4 that he and his father finished together, mm-hmm. and. Uh, he did stop in at Oshkosh. I believe we had a little story about him in Air Venture today uh-huh. uh, that you could look up if you were interested. Mm-hmm. And, uh, was that in this year's paper? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Because this this trip happened this year. He stopped in Oshkosh 
on this trip. Oh, well, then this is really just over then, huh? Yeah. Yeah, about a week ago. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to subtract from the from the accomplishment of this this young man. Uh, this the, this press enterprise website, the pe dot com uh, story, is a, is a great example of a uh, of a, a mainstream media article about aviation that doesn't quite get it. There's just all kinds of little things in here. They didn't completely understand what they were being exp- you know told about, but they wrote it anyways. Well, I, I I came across an article uh, earlier in the week where um, the reporter referenced an aircraft's end number. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the end right. number. The end. Oh, that would be the last one you'd ever need, wouldn't it? That's right. That's yeah. right. You know, in one graph, he talks about Delay, who had just piloted an experimental plane, lowercase e, lowercase p. All right, which, you know, is not. Is technically correct, but is doesn't I'll give say, the right. That'd be style. That, that's the way I would do it. Yeah. No, it's not an experimental plane. It's an experimental category plane, all right. But an experimental category plane is no longer experimental. It's just a weird termin- a terminology that the government uses. Most experimental aircraft are not experimental. They're good, solid airplanes. They just fall into the experimental category. So this gives the impression that it's somehow a risky, you know, kind of on-the-edge plane. And it's not. This RV-4 is a very good airplane. It's not mm-hmm. experimental, all right? It just happens to be experimental category. So that's one thing that kind of got me going. Um, there was another. Let it go. Let it go. No, no, I can't let it go. Got to try and train these people somehow, some way. Um, they won't stay on the job long enough to learn what you're trying to teach them. Yeah. Exactly. Another another graph here talks about, and this graph clearly, I, I, maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but to me, this graph is trying to communicate the the thrilling danger and risks involved in in this flight. And the graph reads: challenges include knowing when a military practice area is, spoke, is open to general aviators, identifying alternative airports and fueling spots, and planning backup routes if weather changes the original course. <laughs> it's like, and, and I'm not sure what's disputable there. So is my $100 hamburger. That's, you know, it's like, that's not... Well, that's true, but your $100 hamburger didn't take 10,000 miles and 65 flight hours. I'm not, I'm not criticizing the young man's accomplishment. No, I know, but I'm, I'm criticizing the, well, the writer's, you know, kind of I, not I really understanding. I don't think there's anything out of line with that. No, it doesn't... Yeah, there's, there's nothing out of line with it, but it's 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 a little bit of a dramatization. I mean, except for the military practice airspace, we pretty much have to do all of that other stuff when we're driving a car somewhere. Yeah, that's, that's right. Kind, and kind, and, and you got to do that to pass a check ride. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, it all gets magnified tremendously when you start uh, multiplying it by hours and hours oh, and thousands and thousands of miles, where you're crossing time zones and you're crossing. Parts of the, uh, uh, the the continent where the weather changes from one side of the mountains to the other, uh, it's not a hundred dollar hamburger by a long shot. No, you're right. You're right. That's I, I'm clearly not communicating myself well. If I'm even right, I may be completely off base. Well, what, what you're what you're trying to communicate is it's a little bit overwrought. The, yeah, the, there you go. Good the, word. Good word. The the, the, the reporter yeah. is, is trying to dramatize something that that. It, is is routine and run of the mill for some for for a, a um, an exploit or journey of this type. Um, I, and remember, I you're, you got to remember the audience is, is right, right. You know that's what the reporter's writing to is the audience uh, education level, and you got to keep it moving enough and interesting enough that they'll read all the way to the bottom. No, 
Uh, I, yeah. uh, because the, the attention span these days is, is even shorter than when I was a kid. I hear what you're saying. I understand to the extent the writer was doing this intentionally, and I think a lot of it was just because they didn't understand. But th- that's not the message we want to communicate about aviation. We don't want it to be, you know, all. You don't think doing a four-corner, 10,000-mile trip has the challenges of knowing when a MOA is open uh, where you can go that there'll actually be gas when you get there, and what do you do when the weather's not what was forecast? You don't think that, that you know, that that's routine stuff, except it's not routine when you're doing a trip this big. Okay. I, I We're not <laughs> communicating. We're just not communicating. Well, I, th- I think the, I think the, all, all, you're both right, okay? Um, no, I damn think, it, I'm right, he's <laughs> wrong. Oh, <laughs> No, you're both right. I'm with I, Jeb. I think um, uh, what's really going on here, and I can't really fault uh, uh, the individual for this, but whoever was flacking this trip to the writer, to the to the reporter, um, was giving examples to the reporter of some of the pre-flight planning uh, tasks and responsibilities, and this is what the reporter came up with, and. Everybody's right, but it was it's just kind of overly dramatized, I think. Yeah. That's all. And okay. I, and I can hear one of the people on the ground explaining this to the reporter right long before the youngster shows up in the pattern. Uh cuz right. exactly. you got to know they've been following this for 6 weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, at first kind of like, yeah, right, and then it's like, really? He's where? And then he's coming back. He's been gone how long? He did this all by himself. How old is he? Doesn't he have a curfew? Isn't he supposed to be home by 10 o'clock? <laughs> they let 17-year-olds fly airplanes? Anyways, congratulations to uh, Taylor DeLay for uh, for completing a very, very cool flight. I'm jealous. I want to do it. Yeah. Oh, and I can so relate. I want to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know how to introduce this story. Um, story about a uh, a drone and a UAV uh, flying in Afghanistan. Uh, oh, it goes like this. Well, there I was just droning along, minding my own <laughs> business when all this kidding snowflake aside, snowflake wrecked my airplane. All ki- yeah, a snowflake, right? All kidding aside, a uh, there was a midair in Afghanistan between a. Uh, uh, didn't we talk didn't about we talk this? About this? This we talked, we did, familiar, we talked about this in the last episode. Well, then why is yeah. it still on the list? Because whoever's managing the list items didn't, forgot to delete it. <laughs> I guess so. The thing that struck me on this was this quote in here. Um, talking about how all of these UAVs are different. There are no two alike. Uh, in, in situ, whoever this guy is, uh, there are no two alike. Uh, Executive Paul McDuffie, who was at the exhibit, said about the number of unmanned systems, quote, they are like snowflakes. These systems are designed <laughs> to perform a specific function. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Oh, they're so light and, and, and fluffy and, and um, um, they leave no impact. They're just soft. They... They fall to the ground, and they cushion the noise. I know, yeah. And, and, and snowflakes can, and snowflakes and, 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 and flaky little ice crystals could never bring down an airplane. I mean, they, they, tickly, 
they're they're just snowflakes. They tickle your nose. Yeah, that's right. Just like geese but, could never bring down a uh, yeah. A, uh, I, I, I gotta give credit to the Army's uh, unmanned aircraft system spokesman or the guy they right. quote here, Tim Owings. Yeah, why? What do you say? Oh, man, you know, this is beyond chutzpah and into cojones you could make a thousand-man omelet out of. Uh, We have more than 1.3 million flying hours on unmanned aircraft systems without something like this happening, said Tim Owings of the Army's Unmanned Aircraft Systems. A a very, very rare event. Dude, 1.3 million hours is is what happens in this country's airspace in a month. Well... Not only that, but most of those um, flying, the 1.3 million flying hours of unmanned aircraft systems without something like this happening have occurred, A, in a war zone, B, in a restricted, you know, in restricted airspace, special use airspace, where there are no other aircraft. Um, It's it's a little bit disingenuous, putting aside the... uh, in fact, I, I don't know. I, I would even question the numbers. Um, I would think that there are a lot more uh, episodes like this than uh, you know UAVs running into UAVs kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh, than uh, than than uh, we're actually being told. So I, you know, uh, Tim Owings does have a big pair of brass ones. Yes. Last week, I think it was last week, we talked about the uh, the airplane that crashed in, uh, in South Carolina, North Carolina. And the Carolinas, by the way, I live in the north. The Carolinas are basically a thing. I, the distinction between North and South Carolina it's, it's, is it's lost. Like fly, it's like flyover country to you, isn't it? It, it really, it's drive-through country. It's, it's right. like when I'm driving from from here down to Sarasota, it's like getting through. You know, and that's really not fair. There's some cool stuff in the Carolinas. I, I Savannah. Uh, oh no, Savannah's in Georgia, isn't it? Ooh, no, that's a, yeah, that's in Georgia. Where is the? There, uh, there's there's south of the border. South of the border, yes, <laughs> yeah. Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill's the Chapel the date Hill. They uh, they got some good. That's bait. North Carolina. Thank they got you. some. Um, they got some good uh, minor league baseball in Durham. Uh-huh. Um, that's the a good Durham Bulls. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. They got some great beaches. Do they? I've never been out. They make the beach. good rolling very, tobacco. Yeah, of course, North Carolina is where aviation was born, so that's uh-huh. a good thing, you know. So, yeah. Um, yeah they, they, now, the, the the Ohio people would dispute that. It was I like know they the, do. The, yeah, it was a surrogate mother. Yeah, I understand. Well, it's, no, you know, the, the birthplace the birthplace of aviation is in Ohio. Yeah. The the place where it actually happened is in North Carolina. Yeah. Okay. Right. It's like the delivery room. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, so apparently it was in North Carolina <laughs> that this airplane crashed, and there was nobody on board. And they speculated that the uh, pilot um, survived, obviously survived the crash, and managed to crawl away. And when we talked about it last time, they still didn't know who he was or where he was. Um, now, according to this story, they've figured out who he is, was, or at least they have a suspect um, based on what did they base this on? Well, what, what we what we found out last time. Was the airplane crashed? When the fire rescue people found it, and got to it, there was nobody there. There was a blood trail. There was no body, no person, um, and they had a, a suspect named in that in that first article. Uh, well, he's article in. He's in. It, yeah, it appeared within the first twenty four hours after the crash. Now there's a follow up. This is like two days later, um, and they've they've caught the guy. That he's he's uh, he's. Uh, uh, been hospitalized, been checked medically, and then he was uh, um, charged with felony possession of stolen property 
and uh, felony larceny and um, uh, possibly going to be charged with flying without a pilot's license, and then he was jailed. Um, so there you go. Yeah, so there's really nothing to there's really no no real aviation aspect to this, this story. This was a this, this was a domestic dispute when airborne. Well, I don't know if it was a domestic dispute. Clearly clearly the, the person here is uh, um, is challenged, is troubled. And um, Yeah, there's a quote in here about I keep trying to kill myself and I can't die. Yeah. So this is a troubled guy. Yeah, this is uh, this is very troubled, and I don't know that we really need to talk much more about it. Yeah. So, anyways, the punchline is the guy we talked in the last episode about this airplane going down and the, the pilot going missing, and, and that's been resolved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see now. Are they going to start accrediting flight schools? Are they going to make? Are, is this going to be required? So, I should read the story, <laughs> shouldn't I? David, you put this on the list. Tell me what it is. Maybe, I'm maybe reading. We, maybe we should read this before we talk about it. Um, I don't know why we're going to start now. I, well, you know, it's five years. I mean, why? What the heck? Yeah. Um, it, we we already have something in the way of accreditation programs and and for flight schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called 141. Um, and then we have. Um, isn't there a? Um, isn't there a, a, a association or something like that 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 kind of represents and, and monitors all the um, university level uh, training programs? I don't well, know. That's the University Aviation Association. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's a little different. So, what's well, this new thing? The Flight School Association of North America is a membership-based association where it represents flight schools. Da 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 da. Let's see now. So this is just a private. This is a nonprofit that probably has the best of intentions and is. It, they're, they're a relatively new outfit. They uh, want to put their good housekeeping seal on flight schools. And they've tried to. Their their, their goal is to try to bring a, a disparate group of CFIs and small flight school operations, up to a standard of consistent quality. That doesn't mean everybody has to do everything just the association way. But, you know, we've lamented this. We've talked about this, about you, you go into an FBO or you go into some places where they advertise flight instruction and, you you, you, you know, you, have you do you guys have anything in here other than your phones that smacks of 20th century? Uh, and some places that's kind of kind of tough. Uh, admittedly, the airplanes are old, but they fly, and flying and learning in an old airplane is just fine, because you can pick up the high-tech stuff later, concentrate on learning to fly. Uh, I've kind of been watching these guys since they first announced their existence and their plans to start annual meetings with, for flight instructors and in small flight schools, and there are plans for an accreditation program, and this is one step in that direction. I got no endorsement or negative thing to say one way or another. I think they're too new, and the jury's out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But is it? It is interesting to see that they have, you know, taken another step toward what they say their goals are, and uh, whether it makes a dent. Uh, you know, we'll we'll have to wait and see, and 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 that's not going to be something that's demonstrated quickly or easily. You know, whether it's this or one of the other associations that tries to cater to the flight instructor community. So, mm-hmm. yeah, as we got 
at least two of those that I know of. And then there's NATA that represents a lot of FBOs that have flight training operations. And uh, this may be the first in my memory of somebody trying to actually organize a, 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 an association for flight schools that are unaffiliated with anything. Mm-hmm. So we'll it, see where it goes. It brings to my mind a, a, a quote that, that uh, may or may not be true, but was famously attributed to Bill Gates one time years and years ago, where he said, one of the good things about standards is that there are so many of them. And uh, <laughs> um, anyways, I, on a on a much s- s- more somber note, um, getting serious for just a moment here, um, and there's really nothing we can say about this other than to send our condolences. It, it's been a bad few days for air show performers. Yeah. Um, there have been, uh, I believe, three tragic uh, incidents at, at air shows over like maybe even the last weekend, but certainly within the last week. Um, there was the uh, the uh, biplane that uh, that crashed into the ground during its performance. Just uh, I haven't quite got the description well, but I don't know so whether he, he wasn't able to pull up or whether he just lost yeah. control and dove into the ground. But but he contacted the ground far, you know, definitely hard enough to. To be fatal. That was very sad. And then we had a wing walker who was uh, attempting to transfer, as, as part of a stunt, he was trying to transfer from the top wing of a biplane to the one of the skids of a helicopter, and uh, and that went wrong, and he and fell. And I've seen this guy do that a number of times. Have so. you really? I never have. I, I probably wouldn't watch. Those trouble me. I don't like those acts. It's just, anyways... Um, and then, and, and it, I, I believe I also saw a story about a some sort of demonstration jet that had an yeah. incident. I, do you know uh, the details? One of the Red Arrows, one of the Royal yeah. Air Force Air Force Red Arrows pilots. Yeah. So, I, I don't think there's anything we can really add to this other than just to no. send our condolences to everybody involved. It's very sad, you know. And we all want want air shows to be thrilling, but but not really. And uh, our our hearts are are with these folks. And their families yeah, and their yeah, friends. Very, and, very, very rough weekend for uh, air show enthusiasts. Yeah. Let's see now. What's this gamma story all about? I was trying to read this while we were. Uh, I was trying to listen to Dave with one ear and read this gamma story. This is Gamma Hale's formation of FAA rulemaking committee. New rules will increase safety and lower cost. I can't quite understand how these two go together. By the way, will increase <laughs> safety and lower cost of entry level airplanes. And the, the language they're using is funny. It's almost like they're trying to say, we're going to take charge of light, square, light sport aircraft, but they don't want to say it out loud. Am I reading that wrong? You're reading it wrong. Okay. What's this all about? In the last 20 years, there have been a couple of attempts to simplify, streamline, and rationalize certification requirements for Part 23 airplanes. Now, that's anything up to 12.5 with or without a turbine. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's, that's part 12,500 pounds. Uh, and some of them have resulted in some movement in that right direction, in the right direction. But they've never, none of these efforts have ever really taken hold or made progress to the level where somebody could say, I could certificate a new airplane for half the cost under the new rules that it will cost me under the old rules. Okay. It's one of the problems with the existing rules is that sometimes they will make a, a, a manufacturer spend money and provide 
documentation to show that something isn't being done or going to be done with this airplane. Oh, okay. Like, you got to show that it's not going to be pressurized uh, so that you can get out from the pressurization requirements, stuff like that. That's stuff that's been addressed some in the past. But there's this has been in progress creating this aviation rulemaking committee has been kind of stumbling along and trying to get some traction for some time now but the idea being to unravel the uh certification requirements that have admittedly kind of built up layer by layer and new stuff added uh, and and old stuff never taken away and get it to the point where it can have a, a material effect on lowering the cost of certificating a new design. Mm-hmm. Okay. I hear what you're saying now. I understand. Yeah. And this is, you know, part of the encouragement on this has been the success or the relative success of the special light sport aircraft category where the industry, the sport aircraft makers have to produce the materials, the tests, and the documents to meet the uh, ASTM requirements for a light sport, special light sport aircraft, but they don't go through the process the same way and require the same kind of FAA sign-offs. They provide a document that says that we've met all these tests. The FAA looks at it and says, yep, that data concurs. You've met all these tests. And that's the end of it. And the airplane is ASTM approved as a special light sport aircraft. There's some thought that they may be able to get part 23 to that level where you document that you've done this and then you don't have to come back and have the FAA inspector on board with you or have them double check everything that you do. And You know, I wish I'd say I was optimistic about it, but the fact that they're still fighting this war again in the third or fourth time in the 30 years I've been doing this Mm -hmm. does not give me great encouragement, but at least they still seem willing to try to make the progress. So we need something in a four-seat airplane that doesn't cost almost $300,000 to go 115 knots. Yeah, I I agree. Well, so I agree then. Based on the way you described that, my snide remark is is withdrawn. It, It could well increase safety and lower cost. So that would be good. That would be good. Um, it would be marvelous. I mean, if they could take uh, some of the equipment requirements, for example, for an IFR airplane and just have it say, okay, that stuff's TSO to the right standard and it works in other airplanes. We're going to buy into that working in your airplane the same way if you install it the same way. And that being the end of it would go a long way toward reducing the requirements to test the equipment, certify it, produce paperwork, and then document it with flight test again for the FAA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's basically what's being done now with avionics and instruments for the special light sport aircraft. I see. So we'll we'll see. Uh, I'd love to see the progress. Yep. Jeb, anything you want to add to that? No, I I, I well, it looks like a, a great opportunity for some light sport manufacturers down the road to, uh, um, and I think. Uh, maybe is it CT or I forget which manufacturer is, is kind of um, taking taking a two seat uh, uh, version of their airplane. Are going to you know beef it up a little bit, stretch a little bit here and there, nip and tuck it, 
and uh, come up with a four-seat airplane. Yeah, well, I think you're thinking of CT. My understanding is that it's more than just beefing up the, the two-seater. My understanding it's a little bit more of a uh, different it's airplane. The C4? I, I think, I think, yeah. it's, a, I think yeah. it's a clean sheet of paper. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it, it is. The oh, yeah. C4 is a clean sheet airplane. But it's noteworthy because they're talking about creating an airplane that will be IFR capable and capable of carrying its own weight. Right. And, you know, that's going to be like 1,300-pound empty weight, so a 1,300-pound payload, mm-hmm. maybe a little higher than that. Be able to put full fuel, seats, luggage, uh, and go 160 knots and do this in a $250,000 airplane. That would be a remarkable achievement if they can pull that off. Yeah. But we still need Absolutely. entry-level stuff cheaper than that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see now. Finally, uh, I've been trying to come up with some clever, cute, snippy way to introduce this story. Um, I was I was thinking along the lines of Jeb's new girlfriend, Irene. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jeb, since you've been living in Florida, you've like been how long have you been in Florida? Four or five years now? Going coming up on four years. Four years. That's right. Couldn't be five because you were in Virginia when we started the podcast. That's but right. four years, and you haven't had any kind of real brush with a serious hurricane in that time. No, there, there was. A, um, a false alarm um, back in 08, I guess, uh, try, turned into a tropical storm and, and, you know, had a couple of thunderstorms and some, some breeze go through. Um, this is going to be the first brush, um, mm-hmm. apparently, and I'm, I'm sitting here looking at the, um, the map of the National Hurricane Center's map right. of um, a projected uh, a path of Irene. Yeah. And it uh, looks like, again, you know, Sarasota is the place to be. Um, if you look at the um, the five day, um, it probably would not be a good idea to try to relocate to Georgia. Um, yeah, because that's where it's headed. That's kind of sort of where right now it it, uh, it kind of has um, uh, Charleston and or uh, parts of South Carolina boresighted, according to um, again according to the National Hurricane Center mm-hmm. as of. Seven sixteen p.m. on on uh, Monday evening. Yeah, all of, all of this is subject to change, including uh, uh, getting my uh, happy ass the hell out of town with my airplane. Uh, but right now, I don't see any reason to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. According to this map, it's the the sort of I keep wanting to call it a zone of silence, but that's not it. It's a zone of probability. What is a name for it? A cone of Probable path. Probably yeah, probability cone. cone. Um, and, and, yeah, as of right now, you guys are outside of that likely cone. So, uh, but, uh, but you know, it might well, rain. however, are not. Yeah, I was going to pro- say, he's right at the edge. Yeah, it's uh, going to it's gonna, gonna, On the five-day uh, Thursday, it shouldn't be past Okeechobee yet, but Friday well, morning. Well, no, it looks like Thursday night. I'm right at the edge of, um, they, they have a lot of different charts and maps and stuff here, but I'm right at the edge of the 50-knot wind speed probability Yeah. Uh, for like uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, something like that. Right on the edge. Well, now, again, have... look at this again. Um, in other words, tropical storm force wind speed probabilities, um, I'm kind of in the yellow area for that. Uh, well, light green. Um, uh, but even then, you know, again, this is, we're looking at three, four, five days from now too. So it it could go either way. Uh, in my experience, um, as slim though it is this far out, 
um, uh, is, is it's really a flip of the coin. Yeah. Uh, Hurricane Center, National Hurricane Center is really good, you know, uh, uh, 24 to 36 hours out, but uh, uh, 96 hours, 120 hours out, no. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll be rooting for you. And, uh, yeah, well, well, I'll keep you. Do you have a door on the hangar? Do you have hurricane shutters for that house? I was going to say, do you have a door no, on the hangar yet? I don't want to go there. I really don't <laughs> want to go there. Okay. All right. Well, we'll be thinking about you and uh, and Wilson and Clara. Carla? Clara? Carla. 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 And, it's all going to depend on what it does in its little brush with Cuba. Because yes. the water's from a line going from... Uh, well, they get much warmer as it gets farther north and a little farther west. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. hot water is what feeds these puppies' engines. Yeah. Yep. Hopefully it won't even get to Cuba. Um, it, the, the models right now show Irene heading up the east coast of Florida, basically right, just kind of right down the middle, uh, right down the center line of the Bahamas, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. up, up the east coast of Florida. And uh, entering uh, uh, or making landfall, if you will, with the continental U.S. somewhere in, um, I would say, around uh, not Charleston, uh, but uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Yeah, I was going to say Myrtle Beach mm-hmm. is the North Carolina border on Saturday. So, well, we'll give you a call next week and ask you how it turned out. And, uh, this is this is when the Weather Channel people will have pictures of folks trying to surf the waters off the right. off the. And who, yeah. who's, the, who, who's the guy with the Weather Channel? Who's Jim always, Cantori. Jim Cantori. Yeah. He's the Brady Lane of uh, of uh, the Weather Channel. <laughs> That's right. right. Brady Inside joke, guys. Sorry. Anyways, so let's see now. Uh, shout outs. That's what's next. Shout outs. David, you oh, go first. Yeah. Uh, shout out to a gentleman named Bill Frist from Tennessee. He's a former United States Senator from Tennessee, uh, who is this year's, uh, Al Yulchi, uh, award for humanitarian leadership, uh, a, a winner or designee. He'll get it at NBAA, uh, in, uh, October in Las Vegas, uh, didn't always agree with the Senator's politics, but there was never any doubt about his uh, humanitarian bent. Uh, he's a heart surgeon by trade uh-huh. and has uh, spent a lot of time and effort uh, and resources uh, contributing medically to people that are worse off, uh, natural disasters, uh, third world operations, and he's used private aircraft quite, uh, uh, quite extensively and beneficially in that effort and uh, thought it worth Shouting out uh, former Senator Bill Frist, Dr. Bill Frist's name, uh, and congratulations for being designated the winner of that award. That's not a small thing. Yeah. Um, I'll go next. Uh, I leave. It's it's Monday night today. Uh, I'm leaving at the crack of dawn tomorrow morning, uh, jumping in my car and heading out to uh, Michigan to Ray Township, Michigan, to the Ray Community Airfield, where uh, Steve Tupper and his gang will be uh, shooting uh, Acrocamp 2, the second edition of the uh, Acrocamp series. Four brand-new campers are going to be uh, get a total immersion uh, uh, you know, introduction to flying uh, aerobatics in three different uh, small um, acrobatic airplanes. It's going to be cool. It's just going to be a great weekend. I have no doubt that... Uh, 
you know, I mean, aside from all the all the you know aerobatics and flight training, it's just cool to hang out in an airport like this for four days, five days. We're going to be there almost a week. The campers are like five days, and the crew are there for a few days in the beginning and end. So it's going to be great. Um, I will be uh, live blogging um, all of the activities throughout the week. Um, on the uh, Uncontrolled Airspace blog. So if you're interested, uh, check the uh, uncontrolledairspace.com slash blog uh, a couple times a day. I'm hoping to post two or three blog posts every day about different happenings um, there. Um, I will be focusing not so much on the training progress. That's what the movie's all about. I will be talking about kind of behind the scenes and the fun that we're having and the the atmosphere at the airport and things like that. So... uh, Looking forward to it. Um, probably people will probably be hearing this podcast um, probably mid to late week, Wednesday or Thursday or something like that, and we will be deep into it at that point. So check out the blog. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to um, your blogging and, and podcasting. Oh, thank you. It's going to be cool. Yeah. Yep. It will be. Will be. It's going to be cool. I, you know, so I was doing some research today about this Ray Community Airport. Tupper has been just like singing its praises. I mean, this is like you know the best airport in the world if you listen to, to him. And so I was kind of just noodling around reading the AirNav entry and 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 whatnot. And I came across the. I was looking at it in Google Earth. And I suddenly realized that Google Earth had, they had run their Google, you know, not Google Earth, in um, Google Maps. And they had run their Google Map View vehicle, you know, the one that's kind of taking pictures from ground level. Um, They had driven it up the road, a dirt road, by the way, dirt road that goes past this airport. And so I went down to look at, at at ground level. And I was struck by two, well, first that, that it was a dirt road that goes, I mean, it's kind of out in the middle of farmland. It's just out there in Michigan. Second of all is that the the threshold of the runway, the, run, the run-up area of this runway is 30 feet from the road. I mean, it's right there. I mean, you can, if, if you're landing on that direction on that runway, the airplanes must skim the tops of the cars. It must be really cool. But the thing that really struck me about this uh, Google Maps view of the airport is that there's no fence around this airport. <laughs> it's Yay. just like dirt road, some grass, runway. It's and it's and this is not a little airport. I mean, there's like a lot of hangars at this place. There's a full-time flight training well, how operation. Do you, how do you know what's what? How do you how do you know what speed to aim for when landing? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's. Uh, this this is shaping up to be a very cool oh, week, and I thank I thank Steve for letting me be part of it. And uh, you know, like I said, check out the blog. I'll be reporting. I'll take pictures of the lack of fence and put them on the blog. Anyways, that's more than I wanted to say about that. It's going to be cool. <laughs> uh, we'll probably do one episode from while I'm there. So we'll we'll, we'll you know two fifty two will probably be with me there at Ray Community Airport. Oh, good good. Uh, Jeb, you got anything? Yeah, real quick. Uh, I have um, uh, had the experience that. Uh, uh, neither of you have had recently. Um, Dave, well, that's you, you just put, such a you, long list. I can't I, even well, begin. I, you, I, I'm still hung up on the crack of dawn thing. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> I, there, there's so, one of us has to have had a girlfriend named Dawn at some point. And I, I, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, family oh, podcast. Family podcast. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Okay, uh, go ahead. Uh, uh, thank Dave Shellbetter. Uh, I had an experience this last week that uh, uh, I know, Dave. You you probably had something, uh, something of an experience with this, but uh, I know Jack, you have not, and that is uh, uh, Mike Shalbetter. Oh yeah, Dave. Mikey, love Mikey, yeah, Dave's brother. Well, Mike is uh, uh, looking at an airplane for sale that happens to be here in Sarasota, mm-hmm. and uh, talked with him last week on the phone. I presume he'll be down here this week, uh, looking at the airplane. 
Uh, he was trying to find an instructor with some, some experience who would be able to, to give him the requisite three hours, I think, his insurance company wants if he buys the airplane. Uh, but anyway, there will be another shall better in Florida here in the near future. And uh, uh, there might be, you know, uh, a film at 11 kind of things going on. Cool. I, yeah. Very cool. Mike's a ball. Yeah, My, yeah, David is Mike the brother that I met. Um, he came to uh, uh, Sun and Fun the year before yeah, he, this. He did. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, okay, he's a cool guy. I like. Yeah, he was a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. The other brother is no longer with us. So uh, I know. Yeah, very sad. Uh, very cool, De- uh, Jeb. So is he going to relocate there, or just buying an airplane no, and taking no, it home? He's 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 out of Mississippi. He's yeah. uh, he and his partner are, uh, looking for another airplane. They may have found one here at, at, uh, in the local area, and um, uh, kind of looking to hear from him uh, sometime this week to. To get a how goes it on all this, I uh, uh, hooked him up with Dave Whitman uh, mm-hmm. to do the flight instruction. Well, put the two of them in contact and stepped aside, left left right. the iron out. The details, yeah, but uh, uh, kind of waiting to hear back on what's going to happen. Very cool, very cool. Yeah. Did you say you had another one, or is that it? That's it. David, do you have one more? Except, no one uh, quickie. Unless, unless you want to talk about Don. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I did not have a chance to meet Marine Corps Sergeant Jonathan Blank, who hails from Augusta, Kansas, out where I used to keep uh, Air Comanche. Uh, but uh, uh, Sergeant Blank was uh, wounded badly in uh, Afghanistan, lost both of his legs. He's uh, getting his life back together, and he was appearing at Oshkosh at AirVenture to promote the Semper Fi Fund, a nonprofit that provides immediate financial support for injured and critically ill members of the U.S. Armed Forces and their families. And he was at the BNS aircraft parts display over the week. Well, through a lot of little twists and turns at fate, uh, Sergeant Blank and his father were at a table with a gentleman named Bob Wilson, who's uh, the principal and the executive VP of Kimmons Wilson's company, and Buddy Stallings, a Shell Oil aviation fuel supplier, uh, they were at the same table at the Gathering of Eagles banquet. Uh, the two gentlemen bid on and won a tandem jump with a Liberty Parachute team mm. out of out of Dougie into the opening of the air show at Oshkosh on Friday the 29th. Very cool. Dougie is the uh, bright uh, yellow uh, DC-3. DC-3, right. Yeah. Uh, the Liberty Parachute team we did a big spread about in the uh, in the uh, Air Venture today, the next day. And we did not know about this. I knew about Sergeant Blank being there and, I, of course, knew about the Liberty Parachute team. My buddy Chuck Powell jumps with them every year. Uh, so they pulled this off. Uh, they did a tandem jump to open the air show on Friday with uh, Sergeant Blank, who made combat jumps before he was wounded. Uh, into the uh, into the opening of the Air Venture Air Show, and I just had to salute everybody involved in doing yeah. this, yeah, uh, including giving the the sergeant and his father a ride back home afterward. Uh, the links got the little story in the Air Venture Org news, and uh, uh, a little bit of video that's worth watching if you just get a kick out of this kind of stuff, but. The chip of my wing to everybody involved, first the Liberty Parachute team for setting this up and, and offering it as an auction item at the uh, Gathering of Eagles banquet, which raises money for the Young Eagles program, uh, to the gentleman that bid on and won the, uh, won the jump, 
Mr. Wilson, Mr. Stallings, and most of all to Sergeant Blank for his sacrifices and his continued effort on behalf of other veterans. Yeah, very, very yeah, cool. Absolutely, absolutely. Very cool. So since we've been recording this episode, we've heard uh, by way of Twitter from a handful of other listeners here, Scrapyard Sound writes, uh, looking forward to the next five years, guys. And uh, Ooh, flyers. Yeah, there, there's there's a thought that I, yeah, I know. Well, we were talking about 15 <laughs> when we started, so you know. Well, yeah, uh, this it's kind of real now. Someone else is coming in and saying. Flyer Scott twitters. He tweets. He says happy birthday, and he also says he's going to see me at Acro Camp. That'll be cool. Uh, Coex Pilot five three one says what a ride. Congratulations, guys, on five years. A Blanchard five one nine. Congrats on five great years. Jeff Ward Scoffrey Jet says woohoo. Congrats on starting and staying. An admirably long record in this young sport. Here's to many more. And and Twitter user one of dozens writes, "Hey, congrats on the five year anniversary." He says, "What's the what's the traditional gift for five years? Avionics, AMUs, hundred low lead, scotch, <laughs> scotch." scotch yeah. He says, "Well done, guys. Thank you." All kidding aside, uh, the 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 most pleasant surprise of this whole experience has been meeting all these listeners. It's yeah. just a thrill to meet them and to hear from you folks. And uh, and please 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 continue to come up to us. Don't worry about bothering us come up and say hi when you see it us is, at our shows it even, is never a bother yeah e- even if your name is not don <laughs> even if your name is not don that's right well on that note <laughs> let's stick a fork in this one jeff Ow. burnside is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor and he's serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine jeb where can people find you on the internet oh i don't know why anyone would me neither but it's the form like so we got to fill out the form oh okay all right well jeburnside.com uh AviationSafetyMagazine.com, sometimes AEA.net, sometimes AvWeb.com. And Dave Higdon is an aviation photographer, an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, the World Aircraft Sales stuff is at AvBuyer.com. AEA.net is a regular. Uh, AviationSafetyMagazine.com is a regular. Uh, and there's a couple of others where they use me, abuse me, pay me, but don't name me. So I can't <laughs> help you with those. Yep. There's another joke we'll have to leave for another day. Uh-huh. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. And for the next week or so at the UCAP blog. How, how long have you been producing media? Not for very long. I'm still new. Uh, thanks to Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. Thanks to Mike Morgan, Royce Earl, and to the many other listeners who have created the UCAP disclaimer clips and the other audio bits we use in the podcast. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. And don't forget, you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, the new ratings webpage of fame, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, were you going to say something? Live long grow old get older by flying because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan bye-bye and that's enough talking let's go flying tango tango yankee lima (laughs) 
The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that.